Chapters thirty one and thirty two of Out of the Shadow by Rose Gollop Cohen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty one. One day I noticed that there was a good deal of whispering among the men in the shop. At noon, when all went out to lunch and I ran out to get a slice of cheese for mine, I saw that the men had gathered on the street before the door. They were eating sandwiches, stamping about over the snow, and disputing in anxious, earnest whispers. In the shop the boss looked gloomier than ever. "'I'll not have anyone coming into my shop and telling me what to do,' he shouted to a strange man who came over to his table to talk to him. "'This shop is mine. The machines are mine. If they are willing to work on my conditions, well and good. If not, let them go to the devil. All the tailors are not dead yet.' At our table, Betsy whispered, The men joined the union. The boss is in a hurry for the work. There was a twinkle in Betsy's usually lifeless eyes. I had no idea what a union meant or what all this trouble was about. But I learned a little the next day. When I came in a little after six in the morning, I found only the three girls who were at my table. Not a man except the boss was in the shop. The men came in about five minutes to seven and then stood or sat at the presser's table talking and joking quietly. The boss stood at his table brushing coats furiously. Every minute or so he glanced at the clock and his face looked black with anger. At the first stroke of seven the presser blew a whistle and every man went to his place. At the minute of twelve the presser again blew the whistle and the men went out to their noon meal. Those who remained in the shop ate without hurry and read their newspapers. The boss kept his eye on us girls. We began last, ate hurriedly, and sat down to work at once. Betsy looked at the men reading their newspapers and grumbled in a whisper. This is what it means to belong to a union. You get time to straighten out your bones. I knew that Betsy had been a feller hand for many years. Her back was quite bent over and her hands were white and flabby. The men returned a little before one and sat waiting for the stroke of the clock and the presser's whistle. At seven in the evening, when the presser blew his whistle, the men rose almost with one movement, put away their work, and turned out the lights over their tables and machines. We girls watched them go enviously, and the boss turned his back towards the door. He did not answer their good night. In the dark and quiet that followed, his great shears clipped loudly and angrily. One Saturday afternoon, father came home and showed me a little book with a red paper cover which he took from his breast pocket. This he said, is my union book. You too must join the union. He told me he had heard that a few of the feller hands had organized and a mass meeting was to be held in the hall on Clinton Street that evening. He took me to the door of the building at eight o'clock, saw a young woman enter and told me to follow her. As I had no idea what a meeting was like or what to expect, I was dazed and dazzled by the great number of lights, the red carpet covering the floor, and the crowd of people already seated on benches along the walls. The middle of the room was not used. I glanced about from the doorway for a seat nearby, but the only ones I could see were in front. And for this I finally aimed, looking neither to right nor to left and feeling painfully conscious of my shabbiness. The seat I was forced to take was right in front and only about two yards away from the small square platform. I was so uneasy at being exposed from all sides that it was some time before I forgot my bare head my red hands with their cracked and bleeding skin and my shoes with their turned-up toes already worn out and still too large for me by that time a young man was standing on the platform speaking 
i had seen this young man two or three times before he lived on cherry street a few doors away from us and kate felsberg had told me once that he was a student what he was saying now was something like this fourteen hours a day you sit on a chair often without a back felling coats fourteen hours you sit close to the other feller hand feeling the heat of her body against yours her breath on your face fourteen hours with your back bent your eyes close to your work you sit stitching in a dull room often by gaslight in the winter during all these hours as you sit stitching your body is numb with cold in the summer as far as you are concerned there might be no sun no green grass no soft breezes you with your eyes close to the coat on your lap are sitting and sweating the livelong day the black cloth dust eats into your very pores you are breathing the air that all the other bent and sweating bodies in the shop are throwing off and the air that comes in from the yard heavy and disgusting with filth and the odour of the open toilets if any of you know this and think about it you say to yourselves no doubt what is the use of making a fuss will the boss pay any attention to me if i should talk to him and anyway it won't be for long i won't stay in the shop all my life i'll perhaps this year or next girls i know your thought you expect to get married not so quick even the man who works in a shop himself does not want to marry a white-faced dull-eyed girl who for years has been working fourteen hours a day he realizes that you left your strength in the shop and that to marry you he would take on a bundle of troubles and doctor's bills on his head you know what he does most often he sends to russia for a girl he once knew one who has never seen the inside of a shop or else he marries the little servant girl with the red cheeks and bright eyes and even if you do marry are you secure don't forget that your husband himself is working in the shop fourteen hours and more a day breathing the filthy air and the cloth dust how long will he last who knows you may have to go back to the shop and even worse than this may be awaiting you your children may have to go to the shop and unless you now change it they may have to go back to the same dull shops the filthy air and the fourteen hours in the winter before daylight your little daughter may have to run through the streets in the rain and the snow in her worn little shoes and thin coat she will stand trembling before the boss in the same dull shop perhaps where you had once stood she will sit in the same backless chair rickety now with her little back bent for fourteen hours he seemed to be looking right at me i tucked my feet far under my seat and bent my head to hide my tears who is this man i wondered how does he know all this he continued each one of you alone can do nothing organize demand decent wages that you may be able to live in a way fit for human beings not for swine see that your shop has pure air and sun that your bodies may be healthy demand reasonable hours that you may have time to know your families to think to enjoy organize each one of you alone can do nothing together you can gain everything for a moment the room was perfectly still then there was a storm of applause and the people rose and began to press close to the platform i went to a vacant seat in an out-of-the-way corner and watched the people going out in groups and talking excitedly when the hall was almost empty i went over to the secretary's desk i want to join the union i said our feller hands had not been at the meeting but they too had joined the union 
and now our shop was a strictly union shop i'll always remember how proud i felt when the first evening at seven o'clock the presser blew the whistle and i with the other girls stood up with the men but not many girls joined the union and so it was soon broken up during these weeks i began to go to night school i went to the class right from the shop without supper for the doors of the school closed at half-past seven when i came into the class the lights the warmth to which i was not used and the girls reading in a slow monotonous tone one after another would soon put me to sleep before i dropped off the first night i learned one word sometimes it was the longest word on the page and stood out among the rest i left the shop soon after the union broke up i don't remember why or how it happened the boss of the next shop where father found work for me was kind the first morning when i came into work seeing the girls put me at the end of the table where it was dark he came over and made them let me sit near the window she is still a little girl he said she must grow and at night he told me that i need not stay after half-past seven he was kind to me in other ways too i had an unfortunate habit of losing needles it always seemed to me that i put my needle away quite carefully after i broke off the thread but when i needed it again i could seldom find it and as father never gave me more than one or two needles at a time i was often in great distress one day when i lost my needle and was looking about on the floor on the table and in my dress and feeling very miserable he came over and asked me very seriously what's wrong i felt that the time i was wasting was his and i mumbled guiltily i lost my needle without a word he went over to the men borrowed two needles at once and brought them to me after this whenever he saw me looking about for my needle he would take a whole packet out of his breast pocket and give me one or two and say laughingly here ruth is a needle and don't look so unhappy as he was not a tailor i knew that he kept the packet of needles to have them to give to me i felt happy in this shop the men sat at a separate table and i never heard an unkind or obscene word every night i had something to tell father about the boss's kindness father was glad that i was so fortunate and often told me try your best to keep this place and i did i worked as quickly and as well as i could one friday when the boss was paying his workers he said to me ruth i am short of money do you mind coming over to my home to-morrow morning at ten o'clock for yours i said i did not mind indeed i was glad i could do something for him though it was so little since i had been working in this shop and was not so hard driven and humiliated i blossomed out again my hair was always well combed out and on saturdays i wore it loose now too i was wearing new shoes and i had a new navy blue cashmere dress the first dress i had ever had that was not home-made and too large for me and it cost me a week's wages and many tears but it was worth it it was so pretty and gave me a great deal of joy with this dress even my yellowish-brown coat did not look so bad so dressed and feeling very cheerful i started out the next morning a little before ten i ran and skipped over the snow and clapped my hands together often to keep warm i found my boss in a room i thought gorgeous with its carpeted floor and upholstered chairs he was alone i saw and felt at once that there was not the calm and quietness about him to which i was accustomed he greeted me in the middle of the room touched my hair with his fingers and then went and sat down i remained standing you look very holiday-like he said i thought he too looked holiday-like he was wearing a new blue suit 
his brown hair lay smoother than ever and his dark reddish moustache was curled after a moment or so he said quite abruptly come ruth sit down here he motioned to his knee i felt my face flush i backed away towards the door and stood staring at him he too sat quite still looking at me then he rose and with his usual slowness and quietness put his hand into his pocket took out a roll of bills counted off three dollars and brought it over to me at the door tell your father he said to find you a new shop for to-morrow morning i walked home weeping bitterly i did not know what i should tell my father in my next shop there was only a single set the boss himself was the machine operator and of course there was the baster a finisher and a presser and i was the feller hand and at the end of the week the boss would leave his machine and run out to hester corner orchard street the tailor's hangout and bring a man for a couple of days to put the finishing touches on the coats before they went out to the warehouse shops of this kind were called one-horse wagons this boss was also single he was an ill-natured young man he was tall and so thin that he looked all dried up he did not trust anyone any further than he could see instead of having his machine face the window like other operators he sat with his back to it and faced the room so that he could see every one of us me he kept at his machine making me use a corner of it as my table so that he could have me constantly under his eye he scolded and teased and swore from morning until night he told us every day in the week that we were not earning our money that we were botchers that we had nothing to worry us while his hair was turning grey that every year he was losing a hundred dollars while we risked nothing and lost nothing we were only getting money which we were not earning his voice as he talked sounded through the shop like the drone of a bee except that it was full of poison bits of white foam would soon gather in the corners of his thin mouth and i used to imagine that the blood in his veins boiled and bubbled as water boils and bubbles in a kettle over a fire he employed only the cheapest kind of labor and so he was in constant trouble in the warehouse he never sent a lot of coats without receiving some back to fix he always made me do the fixing as my time was the least valuable he would stand at the back of my chair and while showing me what to do he would pour out all his wrath on me on these nights when i rose to go home i could not straighten my back and though it was often bitter cold when i came out on the street i walked home slowly keeping near the wall one day instead of bringing the work home to be fixed the boss took me along to the warehouse and made me do it there when i told father about it in the evening he got the idea that i was a very valuable hand and told me to ask for a raise on friday all week i could not get the thought out of my mind that i must ask for a raise when friday came and it was time to go home i kept putting off talking to the boss until all the other workers were gone and i was alone at last i put on my coat and went and stood at his machine what do you want he snapped i could not get the words out of my mouth at once at last i said weakly i want a raise he dropped the work on his machine and sat staring at me the light of the gas jet over his machine fell full on his skeleton-like face the expression of hatred in it frightened me but i stood still finally he said between his teeth say it again let me hear you say it again and i'll throw you down the four flights of stairs i went to the door and said i want my pay he bent his head over his work and said i haven't any now you will get it sunday morning when you come to work when i told it to father he said 
when you get your pay sunday you won't go there again sunday morning when i came to the shop i found all our men gathered on the street before the door the presser looked at me i am afraid little girl he said you are going to have a rest now the shop is closed and the boss is nowhere to be seen we have just sent a man to his home soon the man came back and said that the boss had not been seen in his boarding-place since friday night the presser looked at each one of us one after the other how long does it take to go to canada twenty-four hours well then he is probably there now the baster collapsed on the doorstep he was a grey little old man he had been sick and this week's wages were the first he had earned in a long while i stood a while then i walked away from the shop where next i wondered chapter thirty two and now i came into mr cohen's shop i had to work here as hard as in any of the other places but of this shop i think with pleasure because here everyone from mr cohen to the little boy in knee-pants who came after school hours to pull basting was good and kind here too there was just a single set mr cohen himself was the baster all day he sat on his big table with his legs crossed and worked very hard to save the wages he would have had to pay a baster and do his own part of the work too the machine operator was his partner he was a small shy young man with a very pink face small black moustache and eyes when he was angry no one ever paid any attention to him because he wasn't really angry he could not be his name was fine and gussie the feller hand used to say that he was as fine as his name one day mr cohen was showing me how to make the little bars in the corners of the coat pockets finding that i learned it very quickly he conceived the idea of teaching me other parts of the trade so that i could help out all the big people and so i helped gussie who sat right opposite me at the narrow bench-like table with the felling and she taught me how to cross-stitch labels i helped the finisher who sat next to me this was the part of the work that father had taught me and mr cohen taught me how to sew on buttons which was considered an art in itself for a properly sewed-on button on a coat has to stand up high and stiff and straight as though on a leg mr cohen showed frankly that i was a valuable hand and that he was pleased with me and paid me three and a half dollars instead of three which i had been getting and so now again i lifted my head a little my work was more interesting because it had variety i liked variety and i liked the people all except the presser he was the only one in the shop that used vulgar and obscene language in this shop when the time to go home came it used to please me to stay a few minutes longer it was always mr cohen's partner who reminded me that it was time to go home he nearly always said the same thing ruth you look so busy aren't you going home tonight i liked to hear him say it i liked to feel that someone was concerned about me i used to sit and wait for it sunday morning no one worked very steadily the men used to talk over the amusements of the day before i used to hear them talk about shakespeare's plays the jewish theatre jacob adler in the jewish king lear i listened to them and wondered who is shakespeare what are plays who is jacob adler who makes such a wonderful king lear about this time my own saturdays became less dull than they had been aunt masha left her place as nurse girl in reality she had been a general housemaid she had had to cook scrub and wash she had had to eat in a windowless little kitchen at the wash-tub and sleep on the floor 
she said she was utterly tired of this kind of life and wanted to try the shop father soon found her one where the boss was willing to teach her how to file coats on condition that she would work for three dollars a week for some time after and so she moved into a tiny bedroom with two other girls and i saw her more often on a saturday morning now she would come supervise the washing of my hair and tell me quite often that i was as stubborn as ever and in the afternoon she would take me along with her to visit her friends usually the young men and women gathered in someone's home and spent the whole afternoon singing and dancing russian dances none of them paid any attention to me or thought of asking me to join them i used to sit down in an out-of-the-way corner and watch them when i learned the dance songs i used to sing for them and soon they began to depend upon me as i sang i watched them and longed to dance too among the young men there was one who was distantly related to us he had been ten years in this country and he spoke english well i thought he was nicer and more polite than any of the others often i sat imagining that i too was dancing i was the tall dark-haired girl with whom this young man usually danced sometimes i wondered what i would do if he really came and asked me one day it occurred to me that perhaps if i wished very hard he would come and so i sat singing and wishing and watching one day when i saw him stop before me and ask me to dance i was not at all surprised it seemed quite natural hadn't i wished so hard i never knew how i went through that dance when he led me back to my chair and i was seated he bowed with a slightly exaggerated politeness as one sometimes does to a child and said in english pronouncing each word slowly and distinctly so that i should understand you dance like a little fairy when aunt masha and i were alone i asked her what is a fairy she did not know i asked many of our acquaintances but no one knew what a fairy was End of chapter thirty two